0: Have you noticed how hard it is to join a conversation that has been going on without you for some time? You know, when you walk into a room where people have been talking and you can't follow, you can't make sense of what they're saying. Why? Because that conversation has been going on for hours without you. Or imagine you are on your way to watch a movie and you get stuck in traffic And by the time you arrive in the theaters, you are an hour late. What do you do? Do you still go in to watch the movie? Most of us wouldn't do that. Why? We miss the first hour of the movie. And if we go and sit down now, nothing will make sense. And, you know, it's for that very reason that we start reading a book on page one rather than on page 200. Uh, it's really hard to make sense of the plot when the story has been going on without you. And actually, the story of Jesus Christ is no exception. This is a story that began long before we arrived, and this is a conversation that has been going on for a long time without us. And so we need someone to explain the plot to us. And we see here that Paul does that for the confused Ephesian disciples. And along the way, as Paul explains the plot to the Ephesian disciples, we also learn what that story means for our future. So the first thing we notice here is how Paul found the disciples. Now, if you remember last week in Acts chapter 18, Paul was in the Greek city Corinth, but he left Corinth for Syria, and on his way to Syria, to Antioch, he passed through the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is in uh, in the part of the world that we now call Turkey. And Paul found some Jewish people in Ephesus, and when Paul taught God's word to them, the Ephesian Jews pleaded with Paul to stay longer. And you remember that Paul uh, could not stay, and he reluctantly left them with a promise in chapter 8, verse 21, saying to them, I will return to you if God wills. And so Paul had to leave Ephesus. But in Paul's absence, God brought Apollos to to Ephesus, who proved to be a competent man in the Scriptures, and he was a great help to the believers. And we read in chapter 8, verse 24, that after some time, after Apollos had stayed and ministered in Ephesus for some time, he left for Achaia. And Achaia is another word. For Corinth. And that brings us to chapter 19 in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul came to Ephesus. And there in Ephesus, Paul found some disciples. Now it's really interesting because when Luke, the author of Acts, uses the word disciples, Luke always means, by disciples, Christians. That's how, we, how Luke uses the word. For Luke, the word Christian and disciples are interchangeable. So Paul found some disciples, but Paul sensed that an important conversation was needed with them. And so Paul asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit When you believed. And their answer was completely surprising because they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, that's a very perplexing and baffling answer because these disciples, I think we can confidently say, were Jewish. How do we know that? Because we read that they were baptized into John's ministry. It was the Jews who went out to be baptized by John the Baptist. And so how can a, a, a Jew say, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's presence in the Old Testament is pervasive and it is well known. So it is really strange for Jewish people to say, you know, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul asked them again, into what then? Were you baptized? And they again gave a surprising answer into John's baptism. They were baptized into John's ministry. And that raises a question, doesn't it? Because how can you know John and not know what he said? (laughs) Because if you remember, for example, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, this is what John said. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, that was John's message to the Jewish people. I baptize you with water, but you just wait, because there is one who is coming who is greater than I and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So if you were baptized under John's ministry, the reasonable assumption is that you knew what John taught. And so it's doubly surprising that these Jewish people, first, say, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And secondly, having been baptized under John's ministry to say that. So how do we understand their gap? How do we understand their statement? How do we understand their ignorance? And that is actually what, uh, what the rest of the passage and the sermon is about, and we will get to that shortly. But here, I'd like to take a moment and, and make an observation with you. Now, this is a situation that raises, and I would also say answers, a number of important questions. But we should not miss one very pragmatic challenge, and it is this: these disciples that Paul met in Ephesus, they were familiar with john 's ministry. That means they were familiar with certain aspects of scriptures without understanding the whole picture, and most importantly. As we go on and to find out, they did not have saving faith in Jesus. But being familiar with John's teachings, they seem to have taken the idea of God's kingdom seriously and perhaps even spoke of the Messiah with earnestness. So much so that they appear to be disciples to many people. And I think this is why a deep spiritual conversation is so important and necessary because people who talk Like Christians, and people who even live like Christians may actually not be believers. And that's the situation we find here. They were called disciples by other Christians, it seems. But Paul sensed, I need to have a conversation with these people. And Paul asks these probing questions. And it is soon revealed that they had certain understanding of the Scriptures, but not the whole picture. And they certainly were not Christians. They certainly had not put their faith in the Lord Jesus. And I think this is a situation that we run into a lot these days. Uh, Have you ever spoken to your Mormon neighbors, your Jehovah's Witness neighbors? They talk our talk. They use our language. But if you actually delve into it, if you, if you start to have a deep, serious conversations, you realize they use our language, they use our talk, but they don't know Jesus. And so it's not helpful to make assumptions. It's actually really important to have deep, spiritual conversations. Because what... Uh, actually makes a Christian is not that you talk like a Christian or that you live like a Christian. A Christian is one who has put his or her faith in Jesus in the way that the Scripture tells us to. And having put their faith in Jesus, they have received the Holy Spirit. That is a Christian. They have put their faith in Jesus, and having put their faith in Jesus, they have received the Holy Spirit. And so that brings us, up, brings us to our second observation this morning, which is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you may be aware that a misinterpretation of this passage has led to a very widespread confusion among Christians. And it stems from the fact that the King James Version translated chapter 19, verse 2 in a very unfortunate way. And this is what the King James Version uh, says in chapter 19, verse 2. It says, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? The problem is the word sense. Uh, because that, uh, that is actually not part of the Greek. And from that word sense, which was taken in a temporal sense, uh, people like the Pentecostals and Charismatics have argued a two-stage conversion for Christians. So they say, A person becomes a Christian by faith, and then some time passes. And that's how they take the word sense, in a temporal sense. And then after some time, you must experience the the anointing or the charisma of the Holy Spirit, which is evidenced by speaking of tongues and prophesying. And this whole scheme of two-stage conversion largely arises out of this passage from that unfortunate choice of the word, since. Have ye received the Holy Ghost since uh, ye believed? Have you become converted uh, converted to the Lord Jesus Christ? And since then, have you received the Holy Ghost. So that is the sense in which this verse is taken. Um, but you may have noticed that the ESV reads a little differently. And ESV, with, along with modern translation, do a better job reflecting the Greek when it says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In other words, uh, believing in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit are not two different events. But believing in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit are one uh, inseparable reality expressed in different ways. Well, let me put it to you this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, this is what Paul says. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. In other words, no one becomes a Christian apart from already having received the Holy Spirit from God. That is why believing in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit are not two uh, different events or realities, but one inseparable reality. There is no time gap. You become a Christian by faith, by believing in Jesus, and after some time, having been a Christian but without the Holy Spirit, then later you receive the Holy Spirit. That kind of a two-stage conversion uh, is actually not reflective of what this passage is saying. At any rate, if you uh, if you go on to read verses in five and six, they hear Paul's uh, uh, gospel and then they put their faith in the Lord Jesus and then they are baptized. And so clearly, this passage itself tells us that these are not uh, Christians who have been converted to the Lord Jesus at some time in the past, who then now receive the Holy Spirit. They are not Christians. They only become Christians after they meet with Paul. They hear the gospel, and they put their faith in the Lord Jesus. And when they do, they receive the Holy Spirit. So a two-stage Christian conversion has no support in this passage. Um, It's rather unfortunate. There are so many wonderful things going on in this passage that I have to actually spend time touching on this but it is a confusion that is very widespread but it is important for us to recognize how paul coordinates jesus and the holy spirit how paul links jesus and the holy spirit first paul leads the disciples to jesus he says john baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who wants to come after him, that is Jesus. Now that, that is the plot. This story actually began even before God said, let there be light and created the world. But man, Adam, Adam, and all mankind in him sinned and fell. And as a result of Adam's sin, we are all born in enmity against God and we live out our lives in rebellion. But there was a surprising plot twist that no one expected. God promised a reconciliation at his own expense. And so as the story unfolded, God gave the promise of grace and redemption through his Messiah. And as Old Testament keeps unfolding, that picture becomes clearer, clearer, until we realize that God will accomplish reconciliation with sinners, that God will make peace with those who have rebelled against them, that God loves those who hated him. And the way that he's going to do that is by sending his Son, who will come and die, and in his death pay the debt of sin and bear the punishment and the curse of our sin. That was the promise, and that was the the plot of the Old Testament. And John came as the last of the Old Testament prophets who was still longing for that hope of the Messiah as the last of the Old Testament prophets waiting for Jesus. And he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me. Wait for him. He is coming. He will come and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I can only tell you that you need forgiveness, but after me is coming one who will forgive you and who will cleanse you. I am not the one. Wait for him. Look for him. You see, that was John's ministry, pointing people, reminding them, you need cleansing. You need forgiveness. I can't do it for you. But there is one coming, Jesus. And it is Jesus who will reconcile the holy God and sinners. You see, that's the plot twist that no one expected. You know, after mankind rebelled against the Creator and their Lord, God would have been in His right to say, I'm done with you. So you don't want me? Fine. You know, that was within his right. But he said, but I love you. And because I love you, I will give everything so that you may be reconciled to me. Because I love you, I will give you even my own begotten, my only son. And this is the gospel that these Ephesian disciples had not heard. They had heard John's ministry telling them, reminding them, you need forgiveness. You need cleansing. But that's all they knew. They hadn't heard about Jesus, and they hadn't heard how Jesus had accomplished that reconciliation. But that is what God did. God is rewriting the sad story of sin in the birth, in the life, in the death, and the resurrection of his son. And so that's what they believe. And when they believed, they were baptized no longer in the name of John, but they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then notice what happens. Now the Spirit. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues, and prophesying. Now, once again, uh, there are people who read uh, this passage or passages like this and say that this must happen to every Christian, that every Christian must experience this outpouring of the Spirit and and speak in tongues and prophesy if you are a true believer. Um, that is actually a, a grave mistake. You know, I have to thank King Charles for scheduling his coronation to serve as an illustration for my sermon this morning. How nice of him! How kind of him to schedule that important event. Um, when Jesus, he died and he rose and he ascended into heaven and sat at God's right hand. When he received authority from the Father and he was declared to be the Lord and King of everything. It is then the Lord Jesus sent His Spirit. And the sending of His Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit, it marks the inauguration, the beginning of the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how, if you remember, how Peter interpreted Pentecost in light of Joel chapter 2. Peter quoted Joel chapter 2 in Acts chapter 2. When the Spirit came upon the believers and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy, Peter quoted this passage, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. You see what happened at Pentecost. And we need to understand Pentecost Christologically, meaning Pentecost is about Jesus first and foremost. There is no personal Pentecost any more than there is a personal crucifixion or personal resurrection. Jesus died. That's what he, did, what he did to redeem us. He rose, He ascended, He sent the Spirit. These are Christological redemptive events that we get to be caught up in, not something that has to be or can be repeated on a subjective and a personal level. And so when the Holy Spirit was poured out and people began to speak in tongues and they began to prophesy, this is exactly what the Old Testament said would happen. When the Messiah begins to reign, these things mark the inauguration or the beginning of Jesus' heavenly reign. That is to say, speaking in tongues and prophesying are not meant to be a prescriptive pattern for Christians in all ages as a validation of their subjective experience of their salvation. But rather, what you see here happening is an objective declaration to these people who had not heard that God had fulfilled His promises, who had not heard that God sent His Son and that Jesus died and rose and ascended and began His reign. It was a a declaration and demonstration to them that the promised Messiah has come. And that he reigns in heaven. And so that's how we need to understand Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the events that are taking place here. And that brings us to the third and the last point, which is the Spirit and our future. Now, uh, these Ephesian disciples, they said, we haven't even heard that there is Holy Spirit. And it can't be in the sense that they have never heard of the Holy Spirit from the Scriptures because the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament Scriptures. And it really can't be that they have not heard of the Holy Spirit from John because that was John's message. And what they mean here is that they were ignorant about the Holy Spirit with respect to their salvation as it relates to the Lord Jesus in the significance of the Pentecost. They were ignorant about the Holy Spirit because they were ignorant about Jesus. Because, you see, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And if you do not know Jesus, you do not know the Spirit of Christ. Because, you see, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we have become a part of the drama of redemption by faith in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment that you and I will become part of a new story in new heavens and earth. And so this is the plot line that you need to understand. God began a story. It's not the only story. But God began this story even before He proclaimed let there be light. And this is a story of redemption. And this story will come to an end. This story will come to an end on the day of judgment. And for those that have continue to harden their heart, those who have continued to rebel against God, their story will come to an end with judgment and wrath and everlasting sorrow. But for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, this particular story will come to an end on the day of judgment. But on the day of judgment, we will find that a new story begins because the day of judgment is also the day of the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so the Holy Spirit is given to us as an assurance that that we have been caught up into this great drama of redemption and that our story will continue in beauty and glory beyond it and after it. And if that's who the Holy Spirit is, and that's what the Holy Spirit does, it's of critical importance to ask this question. How can we be sure that we have the Spirit? How can we be sure that we have the Holy Spirit? Well, let me tell you. Our faith in Christ is the evidence and the result of having the Holy Spirit. Now, don't you think that you have become a Christian by choosing God yourself? God did it for you. He sent you His Spirit, and His Spirit regenerated your heart. He, his Spirit made your dead heart come alive so that you may respond to the gospel with faith and repentance. You could not have become a believer unless the Holy Spirit did it for you. And so the fact that you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit and so is our resisting sin and our bearing fruit of the Spirit. When we, when sin becomes bitter, when Christ becomes sweeter, when we do not boast in ourselves but we boast in the cross, then we know. That we are walking in the spirit then we can experience the joy of the spirit but most importantly the spirit of christ is our helper in john chapter 14 verse 16 this is what jesus said jesus said i will ask the father and he will give you another helper. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, I will give you another helper? It means that Jesus himself is our helper. And that when he sends us a helper, that helper will be just like Jesus. The Spirit helps us like Jesus helps us. Jesus is our refuge in danger. And Jesus is our hope in affliction. And that is how the Spirit helps us. And what that means is, the Holy Spirit is with us not only when we are strong and fruitful, but the Holy Spirit is with us when we are weak when we have stumbled and when we have lost hope because you see the holy spirit he has the heart and the love of jesus and jesus who was gentle toward the struggling disciples jesus who was kind the suffering people that is who the spirit is because the spirit is the spirit of Christ and he has the heart and the love of Jesus Christ and he he is the one who is in charge of the story of our life we all suffer in life we all suffer experience, setbacks, failures. And the darkness that we experience in life, you know, they were like a sad and hard to read paragraph in a long book. And if that's all there is to the story, if that's all we knew about the story, the darkness that we experience, the things that we suffer, these things would break our heart. But you know the plot now. The pain, the darkness that we experience, it is exactly that. One sad, hard-to-read paragraph in a long story, and the plot, plot of that story is good it is amazing and that is why we can rest in the holy spirit so let me encourage your loved ones know what god is doing that you belong to jesus that you have his spirit in you and that you are made a part of the wonderful drama of redemption and your story will end not in tears not in regret but in glory and joy in Jesus name Amen Now let's pray together Heavenly Father, we thank you for your instruction this morning, and we pray, O oh Lord that, as we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may enjoy the presence, the gifts and the power of the Spirit of Christ. Draw us day by day to the foot of the cross, where we will find afresh our hope, our strength, and show us day by day the beauty, the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit, we ask you, we depend on you to form us into men and women who grow and mature and become like Jesus. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.